Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hello everyone, welcome to another podcast. And before we begin, let me remind everyone, of course, you can ask me a question to be answered on the podcast at www.speakpipe.com slash Nick Benger. Today, I'm talking to Nicole Ellis. And Nicole is a celebrity dog trainer. She's based in LA. She's trained bears, tigers, leopards, all kinds of animals. But of course, she specializes in dogs. She's the expert dog trainer for Rover.com and also the author of working like a dog and most of you hopefully will know her as well as being the my colleague the other dog trainer on amazon primes the pack so let's get into it hey nicole welcome to the show hi thanks for having me i'm <laughs> super super excited this is like out of all the podcasts i've done i don't think i've known anyone as well as i've known you because through doing the pack obviously we've spent like a ridiculous amount of time together um because that's just kind of like the nature of a tv show right like you especially a travel show right like you're just traveling around and like you know you're just with with the same group of people constantly yeah it's quite funny looking back but i'm like i consider you almost like family because i'm like i don't know anybody i know so well and i've spent so much time with which oh, that's really nice. I absolutely love, but and sharing such a unique experience with it's it's hard to explain what it's like to be on a travel show where you're on a plane or you're in a hotel and you know every single person every single day for months and it's a bit surreal coming home and you're like where are all these familiar faces? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, let's talk about the pack a little bit. Um, obviously, you know. Uh, early this year and kind of late last year, we were, you know, working on this TV show, this Amazon Prime video TV show called The Pack, which, uh, you know, we the first series came out and I think it was like received pretty well, to be honest with you, especially among dog trainers, like because I think me and you going into this were like, you know, dog trainers always hate TV shows. And it's really hard because dog trainers have that thing where they just they're looking for something to criticize, yes. you know, so we I think we were both a bit nervous about it. Um, and then it got received really well by dog trainers. I thought, you know, like I'd say like 95% of the feedback was really positive. I saw people sharing it around as like an example of positive training on TV, which was really, really cool. And then things kind of went downhill again because, um, Obviously, it ended up getting cancelled just because... Well, we can get into that. Um, ended up getting cancelled. And then Peter hijacked the kind of cancelling uh, articles and kind of said, oh, it's because of us that it got cancelled. Um, and yeah, obviously that wasn't true. I mean, obviously, it's really sad that that's being shared because it's not accurate. I've worked on many, many sets, which we can talk about, and I've never seen the quality of care that we provided on the pack. But then the problem with it also being leaked out early is that Amazon never really had time to say why it got canceled. So what happens is everyone starts sharing the PETA stuff and most animal people know PETA is pretty darn awful. And so that 
was wildfire and that caught on. And it's really sad for the show because now everybody's perception reading it is a little bit different and not accurate, but that's what PETA wants. And that's what these news networks want. That's clickbait right there. And it's horrific when you have so many sets out there where we have trainers who aren't positive reinforcement. And this show was beyond positive reinforcement. And we can dive into that a little bit, I think, because there's a difference on how we did safety versus a regular TV show does safety. Mm -hmm. And this really was to 10th degree. And you wouldn't know that really unless you were there or you're paying a lot of attention. So it's a bit disheartening to see when really this was one that should be plotted and patted on the back for how well Amazon handled the safety aspect of it and just really disheartening. But I will say, like you said, seeing trainers share it was a bit more than rewarding and shocking because you never know. I have an upcoming job that Rossi's working on and people already wrote me like, oh no, there's another dog grooming show. And I'm like, it's not even out yet. Like, don't be negative. It hasn't even filmed yet. That That's dog yes. trainers. We're like, oh no, yeah. oh God, what are they going to do wrong? And I think that's just the wrong attitude in general with training and general. We want to like nitpick and we see something, we want to make a comment and instead of just listening and hearing how things are done or trying to make a difference. Um, so seeing people be positive was a bit <laughs> shocking and rewarding and wonderful to see because that's really not done enough. Um, so I'm a bit sad, obviously, that we're not doing it again because I know you and I had some great ideas for season two. And it would have been <laughs> nice to show even more stuff that dogs can do because that yeah. was just the tip of the iceberg. It really was. Yeah, we had loads of ideas. And I think you're right. People are so used to seeing like bad uh, examples of kind of animal welfare and dog training on television that you just kind of almost like anticipate that. And then they start getting like angry about it before the TV shows even had a chance to air or you've seen anything of the TV show. Um, so yeah, it was really nice to see, you know, all of the positive feedback and just see that was even a possibility. Cause you know, like I've never seen positive feedback for a dog show. Neither anyway, to get back to, to get back to the Peter stuff though, um, you know, you're right. You know, so much more like it's, it's so much of a sexier headline for like, uh, you know, news outlets to write like the Amazon show gets canceled by Peter than it is to just write Amazon show gets canceled. Right. And we and, as and people were nosy. We want to see, oh, Peter got involved. What happened? I'm going to click into this and it works. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like you said, so th they never got an opportunity to kind of I think, I think a lot of people don't really understand why it got canceled. And, you know, as far as I know, it was really just about viewership, like a lot of TV shows. Like, I think so many shows, I would imagine the majority of TV shows don't get a second season. Like, that's just life. And at the same time, Nicole, I know you mentioned that obviously Amazon cancelled a huge amount of their reality TV programming. So I think there's a bit of kind of restructuring going on on, on their end. Um, so it's just one of those things, you know, it's a real shame, especially for like, you know, I think the culture, I think me and you were dying to have a season two and so many people, like there was the pack Facebook group and seeing all of the kind of fans of the show and the people that it had, it had inspired and just like, I think uh, so many people were bummed out that there wasn't going to be another season. I think it's 
a unique show in so many aspects because a lot of reality, you watch it and then you're done. You're not watching The Bachelor and going, I'm going to go do these crazy adventures because it's not realistic. You can't. Um, Or go meet some random person and go to Paris together. It doesn't work. But when you're watching the pack, it was amazing to see people watching it, seeing dogs kick soccer balls and being like, I can teach that in my living room. And that grows that bond with animals. And that's so huge. It's not often you see a show that you can take away something. And I think that's huge for society. And then we didn't know at the time when we were filming this that COVID would be such a crazy thing. Uh, We literally got back and then it started like that week. (laughs) So people are at home more than ever with their animals. And I think what a uplifting thing. We're not seeing people backstabbing each other or arguing with each other. It's literally about having fun with your dog on this once in a lifetime worldwide adventure. And when the world's kind of going crazy, no matter what country you're in, especially America, you see something like this and it's so heartfelt and so uplifting. It's nice to take a break from all the madness going on. And I think it really is something we needed. So it's, it's a shame that it won't be more of it, but hopefully more production work comes together. So you and I can team up. <laughs> that's yeah, that's the dream. That's what we're working on right now. And actually, it's really good that you mentioned COVID because, you know, that wasn't I saw an article where COVID was given as a reason for canceling the show. And even though that wasn't said to us, I could definitely imagine that that came into the decision making. I think whenever you're making a travel show in the current climate, like that's going to be something that you have to think about for sure but let's yeah. talk about like making the show like enough of the doom and gloom of, of the show getting cancelled because we're all sad about that but like we had the craziest time making this tv show like you know like right from the beginning when we do orientation we're training all of these dogs to do all of this crazy stuff um you know some of it is like you've never really seen a dog do before and and some of it is you only ever see working dogs do and blah, 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 right? There's, there's so much to teach. And, uh, but some it's just crazy, the stuff we did. Like, I just remember, you know, part of our, part of um, orientation or that period before the kind of show started filming, we were training what were basically classes, like dog training classes in like the penthouse suite of a hotel with like this crazy view over LA. It's like, when do you ever get a chance to do that? Like train dogs in that setting. It was just crazy. So that was just the beginning. Looking back, I was talking to Brandeis who also worked with Nick and I on the show. And I was like, at least I don't regret anything from it. So in moments like that, you and I literally looked at each other and we're like, we'll never do this again. And I feel like we didn't, neither you or I took it for granted. We were like, this is incredible. Like I've never trained dogs in a place like this. Um, So there was a lot of eye-opening and amazing moments. And it was the weirdest training class because one, we have pet dogs that we don't know. And there's a large group of them. We had more than the number selected for the show because we had to choose the correct dogs for the show. You want a dog that's not going to be nervous and is going to enjoy the adventure. And we had a wide array of things to teach. So some dogs obviously knew something, some knew like didn't even know down. So Nick and I had quite a challenge in doing that. And now we're teaching them things in such a short period that they have to go and compete for money knowing, Um, which was a little bit of a daunting task, but it was one of the most rewarding and fun things I've probably ever done and ever will do in my career. 
because looking back, it was just such mayhem that we're like, Nick and I are like, okay, I'm doing this. You're doing this. Let's go. Let's tackle it. Sync up. And we got really lucky that everybody took it seriously. We were given all these people. We had no idea how seriously they would take the training. And you and I discussed that a bit on how wonderful it was that when people work hard, you really see the results with dog training. Yeah, I got to say, you know, everyone, or at least certainly the final 12, you know, were very motivated um, to do the training. And that really showed. And I think that's a big part of why they were able to learn so much stuff. And then, of course, the show starts filming and you're traveling to all these crazy places and like you're doing stuff that doesn't get on camera right but like it's just a crazy experience it's kind of actually do you know what like i've on this podcast i've interviewed loads of really interesting people like ken ramirez and bob bailey and these people have crazy stories from the stuff they've done when they've trained animals like you know bob talks about like training animals for the cia and ken talks about Amazing. like tra training animals in africa and like getting shot and all this crazy stuff and it's like, you know, this was like, I would say my first opportunity to like even get anywhere near that. Where it's like, you know, when when we were in Mexico, like this is the stuff that we can say now. Like, now the show's canceled. Like when we were in Mexico and when you're in dog safety, you have to be following the dog. So obviously when you watch a show, you see these scenes where the the um, dogs and their partners are racing from like one area to another and like they'd be in a taxi or something like that. And like, I remember in Mexico, we were following, I was in the security car when we were following them to the search and rescue area. And in, I've never been to Mexico before. And we were in Mexico city and like, there don't seem to be any traffic rules. No, <laughs> <'cause> just, <laughs> It was literally like being in a car chase. It was just insane. Like uh, the taxi driver just like bombing it down the road, like taking all these turns, just trying to follow this car. It was literally like being in a car chase. It was so crazy. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's so many of those experiences as we filmed. Like I'm sure you had, you probably had some we haven't even spoke about, you know, yeah. um, in some of these countries. Like, do you have adventures like that? Like, did you have things like that that st stay with you? I feel like so many aspects of the show. It's like you said, the following people and chasing people around towns and then watching where we can't say anything. So everyone's used to doing training with Nick and I, and sometimes they get a little refresher before a challenge. But during the challenge, it's gameplay and we can't say anything. And it's just funny standing there watching them struggling, wanting help, and you want to help as a good person and you can't. Um, and was it Costa Rica? Costa Rica in the city when they did the search in the park. Um, this was just very funny. I did a lot of scent work training. So when they saw me, they associated scent work and it wasn't a scent work challenge. All they had to find a sign and the sign just looked like it belonged to the park. So they saw me waiting there because Nick and I have to watch everything. And they all were like, it's a sandwich challenge. So they all just start searching. And there was a point where one of them, I won't name who it was, picked up some clothes of like a homeless person. And the camera guy's like, no, just just put that down. That's not it. <laughs> you can say who that was. Because that was that was kind of shown a little bit of that was shown on TV. Like they they had uh I'll say, it, I'll say, it, I'll get in trouble if if she has a go at me. But um, 
you know, it was it was Chelsea and Griffin, right? Yeah. Like, a little bit of, sh- of that is shown in the show where she kind of, I think she picks up like a can or something like that. <laughs> she picked up quite a lot of items. <laughs> and it was just hard because they all are seeing me searching. And then Brian ended up going to a different park across the street. So he's looking in the wrong part completely. I was just like, oh my God, we thought this would take them five minutes. And here it is taking a lot longer. Um, yeah, the, those were the things you didn't anticipate. And like, that's what made our job hard is not like, it's difficult to anticipate like what people are going to do in this because people are rushed and they're like stressed and they're just like trying to, you know, like <laughs> not thinking straight because they're just racing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, one of the things I had a conversation with someone about was like the scent work. And uh, that was maybe one of my frustrations of watching the TV show is sometimes they don't show the indication. And yeah. that's just me as a, like a, as a dog geek. I, I want to see the indication. So, uh, but oftentimes that was kind of like cut, like you cut before that, uh, which was a little bit frustrating. But there was also times when the dog owners were so rushed. Like you saw this in Italy Um where the dog owners are rushing so much that they're not really letting their dog search because they're trying that you know but that's what you see in scent work competition right like in scent work competition sometimes people will doubt their dogs and and that's yeah. part of uh, unfortunately that's part of competition and you know that kind of environment and in the same way and someone can't speak up in a competition and say your dog found it nick and i can't say anything either um sure. I'd say about the same work also, sometimes these challenges go a lot longer than they look, or sometimes they have to find more than we think they have to find. Um, editing for TV shows has to happen. But looking back, one of the things that I noticed, and I know a few other trainers have noticed, so then of course it like gets to me, is it sounds like they're cueing their dogs too much. But in reality, they're often not. It's just the editing. So it sounds like they're like, Duchess search, search, Duchess search, search. But it's really not how it goes down. Often, like if we look at Mexico, there was maybe six hides, but once someone found one, that odor is still there. And so, but there's no person hiding there, so it doesn't count. So maybe the dog finds that one. The person has to cue the dog to go find the next one. And it's interesting how it plays out on TV versus how it was in real life. I'm like, no, it didn't really sound like that. They were very calm, but they were out there for quite a while searching and searching. And it gets harder the more people that have gone ahead of you. I think people forget as well, like these are dog owners, right? Like a lot of them had done no dog training, you know, before like seven or eight weeks before the show. Uh, And sometimes I was seeing comments like, oh, you know, um, their reinforcement timing isn't very good. It's like, what? they're not dog trainers, right? Or like sometimes a lot of dog owners will get in the habit of saying, no, don't do that. No, right. Or like you said, they repeat keywords and it's like, Just remember, these are dog owners, right? Like their experience of dog training is literally, you know, uh, two or three weeks with us, you know, very early on. Nothing. They're not not professional dog trainers. Like you mentioned Um, a scent work competition. Most people would not enter a scent work competition after three weeks of scent work. They just wouldn't. So it's amazing when you look at it from that aspect. These are not highly trained working dogs. Um, And that's something I see like a lot online as well. And I have my own dogs that do movie production work and it's very different than the type of show we're filming. These are pet dogs. And from the beginning on the calls you and I had with the producers and with the network and with Amazon and everybody, 
the goal was these are going to be real people. We don't want highly trained dogs because it's to show everybody what a dog can do. And I think that really was portrayed to those of us that don't know dog training. If you know dog training, you're like looking at it with a different eye. Oh, my dog could do this in a second. Yes, but this is showing people maybe they can have a dog like you. Maybe they can get motivated and train their dog, whether it's just pushing soccer balls around the house or whether it's doing some scent work in their living room. They don't need to be competing and you don't need to be traveling around the world to do these things. But hopefully getting more people to do them, I think is such a huge takeaway. And we need to remember there's so many people out there not doing enrichment with their dogs and they see this and they get motivated. And so there's definitely two sides. There's a dog trainer side where you're like, oh no, this is wrong. And then we need to remember, this is how we inspire others. Which Yeah, definitely. And I've, I think the show did do that. Like it definitely, it even inspired me where like I thought a lot more about that. You know, like when I came, when we came back from the show, we launched our kind of local business, kind of like relaunched because I already had a local business, but we kind of rebranded everything and, um, you know, I made the kind of slogan for that business, do more with your dog. And it's like, really, that's heavily inspired from my time working on the pack. And I think that to me was the message of the pack, do more with your dog. Um, yeah. You know, go kayaking and, and do all that, whatever it doesn't, you know, whatever comes naturally to you. Right. And like, if you follow the people that were on the show, the contestants on Instagram, like what's really nice is you're seeing a lot of them are still doing that stuff, taking their dogs to the beach and you yeah. know, they've got their rough wear jackets on and like this it's really cool to see. I think it's so nice looking back and knowing <coughs> and do small things. You don't need to do everything, but taking your dog to a cafe can make a huge impact in your dog's life and your life. And honestly, watching the show, it wouldn't be as exciting if we had all these super trained dogs from dog trainers or people who are used to competing in scent work and agility. It's not the same competition. You're seeing it through the eyes of people who've never done this type of skill training before and learning to communicate on a whole new level that as trainers, we already do. We do it with our clients' dogs. We do it with our own dogs. But seeing that spark, I think, really made the show unique. Yeah. So the other thing you mentioned was like, you know, chasing the dogs and their partners through cities, which was, that's another element that like, maybe you didn't realize when you watch the show, like me and Nicole and the vets, like as the people, as the people are running from like one, uh, location to another, like me and Nicole will be like behind camera chasing them. And actually that's one of my fond memories, especially in France. Like I remember in France, this was like at its peak was uh, like you can end up running a fair distance because what you have to remember is people don't know where they're going necessarily. They're trying to figure it out. They might take wrong turns, um, especially in, the, you know, when they're not thinking because they're in that kind of competitive like race. Um, and there were times <laughs> the cameramen, they have to lug around these huge cameras and they would be really struggling to like keep up at times. And there were times where we would have to take the camera and like just just to try and follow the action so they can catch up. And I remember because in each country you get like a, a local vet, right? Like you, we'd have a local vet join our team so that we have someone well, we just have someone local, right? Like the benefit is obvious. So um, in France, we had this guy 
come out with us and he was with me and we were chasing these chasing the teams and uh he ended up the local fair ended up having this massive camera on his shoulder just like chasing the teams and i just remember looking at him and being like i bet you didn't think you were going to be doing this and he he was just laughing and he was loving it and you know every do you know what you were talking about welfare actually you know going back to welfare every local vet and every um Every, like, well, let's just start with local vets. Every local vet I spoke to was like, oh, make sure you give them my details. I really want to do season two. Yeah. Right? These are like, vets are like the most animal loving people in the world, right? Like that tells you that the dogs were well looked after. They all wanted part of the action because it was such a good time. And then, um, and the other thing I was going to say is, you know, since it has been canceled, there's been a lot of people on the crew that have put up statuses or they've joined the email thread or whatever and and have said um you know the animal welfare was like front and foremost and i think it kind of shifts your like perception of the media when you were on set and you know how good the dog welfare was and you see these articles portraying it negatively like i read a book sadly not uncommon either like having worked in production before i tell trainers when they're with me like we're all positive. I'm very, very positive reinforcement only. Be careful how you do anything. People have cameras now and PETA and these companies will twist it in any way they can. So it's a scary world in that aspect with how things catch on and people, that's what they want. They want to find something. Yeah. I remember reading a book, uh, last, I was it camera for this year or last, last year, um, by Ryan holiday, who, Maybe we should talk off air about that um, because do you know your friend Ryan from The Minimalists? He's coming he to visit you, by the way. I hope so because he. Well, I I I like Ryan anyway, but he um, interviewed Ryan Holiday, who's like my favorite author uh, on his podcast. Um, so shout out to The Minimalists. Not that they need my shout out. <laughs> um, They're huge but, fans of Nick, though. <laughs> But um, he wrote this book called Trust Me, I'm Lying, and it's all about media manipulation and it's and the way that the media works. And like, you know, so I read that book last year and then I feel like, you know, when we saw the pack get cancelled, it's like, oh, wow, like this is exactly what I was reading about, where it's like, it's just so much spin to it. And like one uh, one publication will write this article and then like all the others just basically copy the oh, article yeah. without any fact checking without like anything so it's um yeah it's just really interesting look into it but it's kind of also like sad to see that that's the reality that we live in yeah it's a different world but and we had so many rules and regulations put in place for everything i mean what you don't see was before we started filming nick and i were up literally all night writing documents and documents and documents that I'll never forget. Here's my memory, Nick, of the show. He's <laughs> writing guidelines, going over every detail. And then this was shared with everybody on our crew, the camera operators, the sound operators, literally everybody followed it to a T. And this was things just to set the dogs up for success beyond safety, such as like not petting them, especially because during a challenge where the person's competing with money, we can't be like, that guy smelled like hamburger and I liked his belly scratches. Um, and that was just so huge. So working on a normal production is a bit different. My own dogs, as I said, do this. And 
you get to a set, they don't care how you got to the set. Like my dogs do ride and crash tested equipment. Nobody's ever checked. No one's ever asked. No one's asked for vet records. Usually like 95% of the time we get up, we get there, we do our job. But here it was, how are they getting to set? How did they sleep? Whereas do they have a rest area set up? Like when I go to set, that's all stuff I'm setting up myself here. It was above and beyond. And that's different than when you look at a movie production, at the end of the day, the dogs are considered props. And while there is a lot of animal welfare out there through American Humane and other companies, they go home and nobody knows what happens. Like mine go back to my own house. Here it was making sure they get to the hotel correctly, making sure they have walk times, make sure they have play time. And it was such a above and beyond situation. Yeah, so we use the sleepy pod carriers and harnesses, you know, throughout the show, because obviously you have a relationship with sleepy pod and I kind of do now as well um, after the show. And obviously all of their equipment is crash tested. It's like the highest quality safety equipment that you could possibly find. Um, and so not only did they have to use that equipment, but we had to check every time that they were traveling that they were fitted correctly, you know, that it was belted up, that the dogs were all um, in that safety equipment properly. And you see that, especially in the early episodes, I think they cut it a little bit more in the later episodes, yeah. but where like the contestants will get in the car and they'll yell dog safety because they wanted us to run over and check their, uh, their seatbelts and everything so that they could carry on with their race. And actually, like, it's funny because now, because my friends have seen the show, like, it's become like a joke where they're like, yell at me, like, dog safety. <laughs> I'm glad mine aren't doing that yet. <laughs> <laughs> and it was oh. beyond even cars. Like, and before we went, I had to scout the helicopters for episode one. And Nick being in England, he didn't get to come. And we had to make sure that we had a way to buckle them in. So it was downpouring in LA. I don't think we've had rain since that pouring like two years ago now. And I had a fake dog, looks like my dog, that I had a harness on. And we were buckling the stuffed animal dog into the helicopter seatbelts just to make sure we had a way of buckling them in. Um, and it went through us everywhere. Any vehicle, someone from safety team was checking these seatbelts. We even traveled with our own suitcase of seatbelts, which we lost at one point and that was a whole different story um, for when there wasn't seatbelts. So we could install seatbelts into seats. It was kind of crazy when you put it simply, just how much seatbelt checking and safety checking just to ensure. So like you said, the contestants are in a rush and they're going to hop in a vehicle to go and go as fast as they can. Yeah. You know, one thing I won't miss from the pack is those dog safety jackets. <laughs> I do not want to wear one of those. Well, I would it's wear like it for a season two. But... Costa Rican weather, and it was like um really hot, and we're wearing this thick, heavy dog safety yeah. jacket. Yeah. 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 And while each contestant had water in their backpacks, they could easily go through that water. So all of us are also carrying bowls, water bottles, dog treats, like extra yeah. leash while running through these cities. Um, when we were in Vienna and they had to ride those bicycles, you don't see that the bicycles are parked pretty far apart. And like normal, they're like dog safety. And I was the only one there. And so <laughs> I remember this. These bicycles I remember are the rest of my life. 
So I run to one and that person didn't do it up correctly. I honestly don't remember who it was. And then like the last person in the row is ready. So I'm sprinting and I'm not a sprinter as fast as I can to check that one. Oh, and then the first person's ready again. I was like doing the 200 yard dash back and forth, back and forth, checking all these seatbelts. And one dog was backwards. I was like, you have to spin the dog around. Next person, I'm like, by the end, I could barely stand up. I was like, and then we have to go rush off and follow them. And I'm like gasping for air. As they're like, are you okay? I'm like, no, that was so exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I really hope that we get an opportunity to do a, another TV show in the future. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm really um, hoping that. But moving on from the pack, obviously, one of the things actually that struck me, because I spent a lot of time with you in LA, like between, you know, filming and all that kind of stuff and you know preparations and like i remember when we hanging out like you when you're talking with jared your partner you're kind of like um oh rossi's got a job tomorrow which is really like that's strange to hear as uh you know as someone that doesn't do that and obviously rossi is your one of your dogs so um tell us a little bit about rossi's job like what is what's the job for rossi so I have two dogs, Rossi and Maggie. Maggie's a little bit retired now. Um, and their jobs vary. I say that it's funny that most people hate the word working and it's my dog's favorite word in the world. <laughs> Thanks to, because they're doing a job they love. So jobs for them are usually production jobs. And that means it could be a photo shoot, commercial, movie production work, anything around those. And Lately, we've been doing quite a few reality jobs. So when you see a dog on TV or in an ad, it's usually, for the most part, a dog that's trained to do that. Just as a bomb-sniffing dog is trained to sniff out bobs, our dogs are trained to sit, watch a camera, and do certain behaviors, which are different behaviors than I'd say we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So a common question I get is like, oh, my dog's cute. Um, how do I get him in a photo shoot? And it's like, okay slow down. It's like a lot of steps in between. And that includes making sure your dog would enjoy that type of job. And then also ensuring they have the training. You don't get hired for a job and then train. You should have a trained dog. And there's obviously specific behaviors that my dogs don't have that we need to train for production work. But um, for the most part, they should be ready. So for example, you see a dog on a TV show and he jumps on the couch and he lays down with the person and you're like, my dog does that every night. I'm sitting on the couch and he sits next to me. But the difference is to get that shot, we need to be 20 feet away behind the camera, behind the audio guy, behind the script supervisor. Like there's a lot of people involved behind the scenes. So I'm sometimes squatting under a camera or wherever I need to be. And then if there's actors, it's usually no talking and I'm sending my dog away from me into a scene. And then from there using hand signals, communicating his specific cues and then Maybe someone screws up their line. There's so many things that happens or the lighting's off. So things out of our control. Well, then we need to do it again and we need to do it again. And it's funny because if a dog screws up, people will be patient for a little bit, but their time is money on a movie set. They only have so much light. They only have so much time for all their actors that they're paying for and everyone else. So I never want to be the one that's holding them back. So I need my dogs to be so excited on take 20, on take 30 of running into this couch and then running back out to me. So it's doing these same behaviors over and over, but on cue at a distance with enthusiasm. 
Um, and I think being positive reinforcement is so huge because that's how my dogs love it. It's super fun and it's rewarding for them. Um, so I loved not to bring it back to the pack, but how you and I were just so positive reinforcement. It's so nice to see. And I think it's a shift slowly coming in the entertainment industry because there's a sadly a lot of trainers that aren't, but the more we can get out there and show this is our dog trained with love. And if he doesn't want to do anything, we're not working that day. That's fine because his happiness is going to come first, but luckily for him, he's just work obsessed. <laughs> and yeah. those are long days. As you saw, filming is a long day. I'm usually not racing around Italy filming, but that doesn't mean <laughs> it's not a long day between actors and different scenes and how long it takes to film one thing. Like that little tiny intro for episode one on the freeway, that was two days in Los Angeles. So just to give an idea, like an average commercial is usually like a two to three day shoot for us. So it's just not what you would expect. Like it's 30 seconds, but it's not, which is a bit weird looking out from an outsider. And it definitely takes a specific type of job. You dog, you need to have a dog that loves to work, but he can't be sitting there barking because he's bored, not working. He needs to be able to be calm and relaxed throughout the day as well. So if you were getting another dog, so you're getting another dog to uh, train, train for this kind of thing. uh, What would be on your list of things to do? Um, My first thing is always socialization, especially with a young dog, even with Maggie, that was huge for me. Um, I need a dog that's confident no matter what this peculiar situation is. So this is sights, sounds, people, especially things in production work, we have a lot of things above their head, microphones, cameras, so getting used to things in those type of situations, but as well as crowds, I need a dog that can work and pay attention to me if we're in a crowd of a hundred people. So obviously socialization starts simple and working our way up, but my dogs are pretty bomb proof in that aspect. And that's what I need. I don't want them to be, ever be nervous on a set. Um, and of course there's some things we can't prepare for, but I feel like the more confident the dog is, those things are going to come easier when we get to a set. And then I like, I know from, I know from like doing the pack that uh, one of the things that we realized quickly was we had to get the dogs used to drones. Yes. So that's going to come in. Like you were talking about things above their head. Like, you know, drones is a big one. I think a lot of dogs, they see something flying above them and it's like, you know, you know, they're used to it being a tennis ball or a frisbee. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, this is a game, you know? And it's like, and no, you need funny to- funny <laughs> noise where you're like, oh, I'm going to get that. That sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah. so, um, um, so, okay, so socialization. Uh, socialization, partic- confidence, um, motivation. My dogs are very, very food motivated. And while toys work, the longer that day is, it's the food motivated dogs that at the end of the day, when everyone's tired and wants to go home, they're still thrilled. They want that piece of chicken. They want that dog treat, even if they've been there sitting on set for 10 hours doing nothing. So that to me is a huge one. Um, and you need a dog that loves to do things. If you have a dog that likes to sit on the couch all day, goes for a walk and he wants to go back to sleep, but it's probably not going to be the dog that's going to want to work all day and keep going. So I think having that mentality, which you can build up that drive and that love, um, just like dog sports, for example, but it has to be something your dog enjoys. If someone told me I had to do math every day, I'd be miserable. So I don't want my dogs doing something that's going to make uh, them. 
are there like particular behaviors like you mentioned jumping up on like a couch like are there particular behaviors that need to be taught great question um so there's going to be the standard studio behaviors that every dog should know if you're submitting it for production work and adding to something else that we see in production work a lot that people don't plan for is on photo shoots which we saw in the pack a little bit when we did the press photos is the big flashes that they use on camera shoots make a popping noise and it can be startling for dogs. I try to get my dogs used to camera popping sounds, cameras, lights from the very beginning because the average dog never really encounters those type of things. So, and those popping sounds can be quite scary or can be no big deal. So it depends how we set them up. Um, going back to behaviors, obviously a stay is super important. Um, what I use a lot is called a mark, and that's teaching a dog where to stand, and that's putting their front feet on a specific object. Um, I start with something big like a book, and then I teach my dogs how I'm showing them where the mark is and where they need to stand. That could be on a set, something like a leaf that your dog needs to go and stand on, and that's where the focus of the camera is, that's where the mic's set up, that's where they need to be. So, And that's huge, and with a mark, there's going away from you going to it, coming towards you and stopping on it. So not a simple behavior. All of mine obviously know a sit, a down, a head down on their sides, both directions, speaking, spinning, because that's like happy dogs, head down, sad dog, <laughs> going with a person. And then watching things is huge, whether it's watching a person to pretend that dog, that's their pet parent, or watching an object in a scene, and then feet up is another huge one, jumping up. And all these behaviors I have on hand and verbal cues. So although a lot of trainers are like, oh, you're double cueing your dog when I work with my dog. But my dogs aren't a normal dog in that I need to have them set up for success where if I say sit, they sit. If I give them a hand cue and I can't speak, they're still going to listen. So it's a little bit different where other forms of training, be like, oh, that's so bad. That's We don't want a double cue. But for me, that's what I need. I need my dogs to listen. So I definitely mix up my cues a lot. Either I'm doing both, I'm doing one, doing the other so that no matter what, my dogs are ready. And then of course your dogs need to be good with all sorts of people. There could be kids on set, there could be senior people, younger people. We need to make sure they're fine around everybody. You never know what it's like on a set and what you're gonna encounter. And then I think the ability to learn quickly. So while our dogs normally have their certain things as you've seen on the pack, a lot of times they're like, oh, what if you try this? And it's nothing I was told ahead of time. This happens pretty much every <laughs> shoot. And most of the times our dogs are trained enough. Like I say, yep, you've got it, no problem. Or I'm like, give me 10 minutes. Let's see what I can do. I'll try to pull this off for you guys. And if not, if not, you didn't give me a warning. But that ability of our dogs understanding how to learn helps teach these be new behaviors on the fly so quickly. So, so like, this is a bit of an awkward question, but I know that people are going to be thinking it. Are these kind of gigs lucrative? Is this something that people can actually make money doing or is it more of a hobby? That's a great question. Um, I'd say most people, it's going to be a hobby. You can make money that helps pay for the dog food or pay for your dog treats. I do it because my dogs absolutely love it. Now, if you have a busy working dog, does that mean you wouldn't be able to live off that career together? No, it doesn't mean that. But just like humans, actors, they have great years and they have not so great years. My best friend is an actress. She's had years where she does three movies and then she has a year where she doesn't work. And it's the same with dogs. And it comes down to 
the production world. So I think being a dog trainer, we're lucky that there's so many other aspects we can do from writing blogs to speaking, to doing podcasts, to training pet dogs. So if there is a slow time, can hop over to another avenue and it's another means. There are production companies that basically it's like a ranch and they own 20, 30 dogs. And a lot of those production companies or not production companies, animal companies book a lot of the big jobs. So you could potentially work in one of those as a full-time career. Will you be training your own dog every day? No, but you'll be on set a lot and you'll be training all these other dogs, but these dogs aren't living often like pet dogs. They're in a kennel set up and this is how they work. And those dogs know their job and they go to work. So it depends if you want a family dog, you can make it work, but most jobs aren't making a ton of money. I'd say the average day rate is usually like 250 to 450 a day for a dog working. And this might be a 12, 14 hour day. So, mm. and oftentimes we're prepping ahead of time. Um, Rossi has a job coming up where there's not really new behavior. So I'm not charging them a training fee, but I want him to do well. So I'm still practicing every day. So it's definitely a commitment, but if you're interested, it's definitely something to look into because you can have great memories on set. Some of my favorite memories and doing weird things that you would never think you've done. Um, for example, a fun one is Maggie. And if your dog doesn't know a specific behavior, because it's so different, we often charge like a training fee for that or training day. Maggie did a commercial for Radio Flyer where she rides a bicycle. Well, that's not oh, wow. in her normal that's, that's not in our normal repertoire of studio behavior so of course we had a few extra training days for that and she was riding off bicycle down the venice boardwalk and if you've been in venice it's lots of crazy people there's different sights there's different sounds and she's just like going along the boardwalk doing her thing so that's something i never would have imagined my dog to be doing um <laughs> she did one skateboarding down hollywood boulevard for like american apparel and there was like all the Hollywood Boulevard people like dressed as Yoda and Mickey Mouse behind her, like chasing her. And I was just like, this is so weird. But <laughs> she, <laughs> my dog's like, cool, I'm doing it. Give me that treat. This is great. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And I think at the end of the day, I've just created so many amazing memories that money comes and goes, in my opinion. I mean, as long as we can pay our bills and there's so many aspects in dog training, which is something I love about it, that we're able to take time to do these fun jobs or travel the world with other people's dogs. <laughs> so once you've, you know, you've got your dog, you've trained them, uh, you, you've put a lot of time into that. How do you start getting gigs? Like, how do you start finding these jobs? Absolutely. There are some pet agencies out there. Some of them are a little bit more scammy than others. So do your research, look into reviews. Um, but there's a lot of great places you can find jobs. I know I have a bunch of people on my Facebook that I know their dogs are trained. And if I get a call for a Husky, for example, I don't have a Husky. I'm more than happy to help your Husky get this job. So follow some dog trainers in the entertainment industry. They're often looking for specific things. I think last year I booked a ton of dogs on jobs and it's really rewarding for me also to see that hard work get paid off. Um, and check out online. Smaller jobs get posted on what we have in America, Craigslist. If you're near a university, it's like a film school. Often those smaller film projects have a dog involved. So keep an eye on those forums as well. And those are often a great place to get your dog started before stepping into a big commercial, which might be a lot of pressure. 
doing a student film is a great way to see if it's something both you and your dog enjoy or you're like, oh my God, that was stressful, not for us. And that's fine. There's so many avenues in the pet world. But definitely look into online communities, online dog trainers in the entertainment industry and some pet agencies. And feel free to post the work you're doing with your dog. I think that's a great thing about social media now is show everything you've done and maybe somebody will see that and be like, hey, I'm casting for a commercial. Your dog's gonna be great. It obviously knows its stuff. And that's what I think the world has changed so much in the production world. And I think being a positive reinforcement is huge because on a set, like we've discussed with PETA, so many people are watching. I've never shocked my dog or do any of that stuff. I'm purely positive, but I don't need to worry. I know he's doing the job because he's happy. And no one wants a dog on the set that looks terrified or scared or like he's forced to be there. And the more positive reinforcement trainers we can get out there doing production work, in my opinion, the better. Okay, so, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, one your first book obviously was, uh, you know, all about working dogs. Yeah, so I right? have one book out of one in the works. I have, let's talk about the one in the works first. I'm working on a coffee table book on doodles, which is going to be a love-hate relationship with some people, but that's okay. Um, I have two doodles and I just think it's so special, the unique mixes out there. They are not a purebred dog, but the different looks, the different types. And instead of people just being like, I want that one because he looks cute, understanding that breed, understanding what goes into these active dogs. I have doodles that work really hard. They're a mix of two busy dogs. One of the finalists on the pack was one. And then what led to this was our previous book was Working Like a Dog, where Brandeis, who worked on the pack with us, we traveled the U.S. for quite a few years photographing dogs with jobs. It was a pretty intense book because we were photographing police dogs and cancer detecting dogs and FEMA dogs that found the bodies of a terrorist that flew a plane into 9-11, like pretty absolutely incredible dogs. So we wanted to do something a little more lighthearted this time because that was a bit emotional and heavy. But I think seeing that was inspiring for everything I do because a lot of those dogs are rescues. They come out of shelters and now they're going to work on the biggest natural disasters in the world, flying to like out to hurricanes around the world, helping families find missing bodies. I think that's just so incredible to see. And another aspect of dog training is training those dogs. And in my, my aspect, working on a photo shoot as a trainer with those dogs. Um, working like a dog was special because my friend Brandeis got bit in the nose and dog basically bit her nose off almost. And she was terrified of dogs. So I was like, let's go see all the amazing things dogs can do. And it turned into a much grander adventure than we ever planned for. And at one point her and I were in like the full bite outfits getting bit by German shepherds. And I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. That's, that's so much fun, actually. Like the whole uh, bite. I haven't had a suit. I've had the sleeve. Okay. We had the full suit and it was so eye-opening going from that to like a therapy dog that helps children learn to read. I was like, this shows you what they can do and how different these breeds are and what they're really bred to do instinctually. That's huge. Yeah. The bite, getting uh, bitten in one of those things, like I think people are terrified of it and actually like, I think it's quite fun. Like that whole oh, thing. I loved it. <laughs> I was like but giggling and laughing. I was like, this is awesome. One of the stories I have to get you to tell, Nicole, 
I have to get you to tell the story of uh, the whole Brandeis Hotel situation. <laughs> you have to tell that story. It's too good of a story Which not to one? tell. Which one? There's so many. <laughs> Which one in particular? Just um, Brandeis is blagging of getting getting you in these situations so that you could uh, obviously complete that book. Oh, gosh. Okay. So <laughs> we're very enthusiastic about getting things done, I feel. And <laughs> she's just like, oh, well, we'll get these dogs. I was like, okay, cool. There was times where, like, we showed up to a very big dog event in L.A. where there were some incredible dogs. And we just rolled in there with our dolly full of equipment into this very <laughs> prestigious Beverly Hills Hotel. And I'm like minorly panicking inside. I'm like, we didn't call. We don't have an appointment. We don't have a room. And she's like, we're here to photograph the dogs. And I'm like sweating and dying inside. And she's like, they're like, oh, oh, we didn't have you down. She's like, oh, it's okay. We'll wait while you get our room. And I'm like, oh my God. And these people are just like, go along with it. They're like, Okay, so yeah, um, we're so sorry. We'll set you up. Here's the room you're going to. She's like, okay, great. We'll only need a few hours. So we get this room at this fancy hotel. And then Brandeis is like, what's your manager's name? And they're like, oh, so-and-so. She's like, great, thank you so much. We'll put in a good word, which I'm sure she did. She's very honest. And then besides the story. And then we went <laughs> downstairs and there's all the dogs waiting for this like big event they're at. And she's like, we're doing a book. Anyone want to be in it? And we take all these dogs up to our room and photograph them. A few hours later, someone from the hotel did come up and he's like, are you supposed to be here? And she's like, so-and-so said it's okay, that manager. And he's like, that's me. And she's like, oh, well, we're almost done. We'll be done like half an hour and we'll be out of your hair. And he said, okay. And we managed to photograph all these dogs. And I think that's where determination pays off, which is how she ended up on our show too. And there was many times like this. We just drove to Tahoe and we called a sled dog company on the way. We're in Southern California. This is not a close drive. And she's like, can we photograph your dogs tomorrow? We're in the middle of a forest and it was so cold. Our lights are freezing. So we lit our backdrops with our car headlights and oh, wow. we photographed like 40 sled dogs who had no training tied between like trees, basically just pacing. And I'm like throwing treats at them, trying to calm them down and get them relaxed and just it's the funny situations you get into when you know you can get stuff like done and a lot of these people have become lifelong friends of ours from therapy dog companies service dog companies and i think that's huge because they're passionate people too and i think that's commendable of the everyone in the pet industry like dogs aren't easy um but they can be rewarding and we all should be helping each other more so funny years later like we came out with the book quite a few years ago and now we're like people I still talk to on the daily and we wanted it to just show people what dogs can do what a service dog actually is which is a bigger issue in the United States than it should be um and how dogs really can change somebody's life and what a little bit of training can do yeah, I love that story because I uh, like you just have to respect that kind of hustle and oh, Brandeis yeah. Brandeis is so about that as well. Like, obviously, as you said, Brandeis worked on the pack too. So I got an opportunity to see her work. And, you know, she's, <laughs> like someone, no that, <laughs> she's someone that gets stuff done. And uh, I've got so much respect for that. That's just, uh, I, I love that. So 
Um, so that was your first book. And now you're working on this book about doodles. I mean, the first question that comes to mind is, have you, are you thinking about getting Derby in it? Of course. Gotta be included. (laughs) I didn't ask you that before, but, uh, no, of course we have another book that we're going to work on after that one, or maybe at the same time, which we haven't announced yet, but we might've started shooting dogs for it already. So that's a little bit different. So that one will be coming too. Just, I think photography is a great way to capture people's attention and bring awareness to not only training, but to working dogs to, and maybe getting somebody a dog in their life. So I think it's so huge in education throughout it as well, which is massive. Well, doodles are like, you know, so popular right now. Like there's been such a popularity surge. And I feel like, you know, a book on doodles is, you know, sure to be popular. Like, I think that's a really good topic choice. And obviously you're someone that really is passionate about that. It's like, it's not like you're just jumping on it. Like you're really passionate about doodles. I have one from a city shelter, cost $80, um, my heart and joy. And then my other one's from a reputable breeder. So definitely a fan of doing both and convincing people not to use a breeder that's a puppy mill breeder and all that. Cause right now more dogs are, everyone wants a dog (laughs) and it's hard to find those good ones and it's worth it. So I think taking that time to educate is just so huge. And as dog trainers, if we can all educate people a little bit more, maybe we'll have less dogs in shelters or we'll have more dogs doing crazy adventures or maybe they'll bring the pack back. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. One of the things you said when you said, you said like, I'm doing a doodle book is like, you immediately said like, I know that's controversial. And it's like, why do you think that doodles are controversial? Like, you know, uh, it's such a shame that there are people with negative attitudes towards doodles. Cause like you only have to watch, like you only have to watch the pack, right. And see Derby. And there are so many like other, as your book will highlight really awesome doodles out there. So why do you think they are controversial? I think it's multiple things. There is, they're cute teddy bear looking dogs. And I think a lot of people want one not knowing the work that goes into them. Cause depending on the mix, I have some that are very calm clients that are super easy dogs. And I have some that are not my dog, Rossi. He's not a dog for everybody. He is a lot of dog, but that's what I wanted. So I think a lot of people don't know what they're getting. And then I think there's also a mixture of demand where we might have ones with temperament issues because there's a lot of people breeding them who probably shouldn't be. So as dog trainers, who are we seeing? We're seeing the naughtier of the naughty ones. And so there's a lot of people who are so also proud of like purebred dogs and that's fine. There's something for everybody out there. I like this mix. I like that I don't have dog hair all over my house. I like how intelligent and active they can be. I think they're a great fit for my family, but they're not a great fit for everybody's family. They have grooming requirements and that. So I see a lot of hate online. Um, people like won't take doodles. This and that. I'm like, cool. There is enough dogs out there for all of us to train and goodness. There is enough doodles out there that if you don't want them, someone else can make their whole business on them. And that's fine. Yes. That's I was just about to say that instead of being so negative, why not help those people do something to help their really crazy dog. I do a lot of blogs on mental stimulation, socialization, because that's who a lot of my viewers are. They have these type of dogs. So let's help them do something they can do at home that they don't need to sign up for a crazy class for. How can we help them just a little bit to have a better dog? Or if you know someone looking, 
like I get a lot of questions. Should I get a Bernadoodle or a Golden Doodle? I'm like, hey, Bernice Mountain Dog is very different than a Golden Retriever. Mm-hmm. Trying yeah. to explain like that's they get the right fit for their family. Um, mm-hmm. But someone like Kentucky who has Derby, he rescued Derby because Derby was too much for that family. Well, he's not too much for Kentucky. Kentucky traveled all over the world racing with this dog and he keeps up with his active lifestyle. But being a pure, a mixed breed dog that is super gaining popularity, I think worrisome people, definitely. And it's not a purebred, it's not an AKC dog, but I think it's a great genre, I guess. I don't want to say breed because it's a lot of breeds. <laughs> to, to fit a lot of people's lifestyle, is it going to be for everybody? No, but for me personally and the type of training clients I take on, I'd rather the high energy doodle than the aggressive German Shepherd. And some trainers are going to rather that German Shepherd. That's not my training. That's not what I specialize in, but send me those doodles. I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> I think anything that like, you know, shakes things up a little bit. And, and anytime you get change, there's always going to be controversy. You know, people don't necessarily always like change. And like you said, you know, for all the people that are hating, there's so many people out there that are, you know, niching um, down yeah. into into doodles. And like you said, I know so many people that are like, all they're doing is doodles now. And that's like become their specialty. Uh, so yeah, it's just really interesting to observe. And I'm so glad that you've got a book coming out on them. And for people that do want to grab that book when it does come out, or they want to grab your book, Working Like a Dog, where can they find that? And where can Absolutely. they kind of keep up to date? Um, if you look up Working Like a Dog on Amazon or any of the major book retailers, that one's out there fun coffee table book and explaining all their jobs. Um, otherwise on my site, I list them all at maggieandnicole.com, N-I-C-O-L-E. Um, and hopefully a lot more fun ones. The next one's not just one breed. There's a hint at that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be coming soon. So oh, a lot awesome. of fun and, stuff in the works. And then of course, I guess just following you on, on social media. I know you've got like, you're really quite active on Instagram, particularly, aren't you? Um, I try to be, I don't know. I try my best. Uh, it's depending on the mood. I think social media can be a bit exhausting between everything else. So yeah. I have my moments where I'm good about it. And then I have my moments where I go and hide. <laughs> so where can people find you on social media? So is, is it NALS? Is that right? Yeah. NALS, um, basically for everything, but it's all linked for my website. If that's easier for people as well. Oh. Um, any questions about production work or anything, let me know. I'm more than happy to answer. I have a blog breaking it down as well and hopefully inspire some other people out there to maybe get their dogs in some photo shoots. All right. Super. Well, it's been really cool to kind of catch up with you and just kind of reminisce about the pack and talk about what you're getting up to. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on the show. And obviously we're always talking anyway, but uh, yeah, really appreciate you. you coming on the, on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for listening. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Don't forget that me and Nicole are on Instagram. So if you enjoyed that podcast, please go ahead and share it on your Instagram story and tag us both. We'd love to see that. And of course, if you want to ask a question to be answered on the podcast, I'm going to be releasing some more of those real soon. So uh, if you want to be on that and and ask a question that I can answer, then go to www.speakpipe.com dot com slash nick benger i'd really appreciate that i love answering your questions until next time see ya